you as the opposition could be like, right, lads, we can do what we want here because there's no other challenge. There's no other challenge. game's still going to be refereed. There's no other challenge. The game's still going to be... It's not like the referees leave the pitch. <laughs> House of Rugby Ireland, here on Joe. Game changed. Hello and welcome to House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe. I'm Emer Constantine and I am joined in studio by Fergus McFadden and Ian Madigan. What a day of rugby we had yesterday and we have loads to chat about in today's show. Um, first off, Fergus, you were in the host show last week. How many times did it take you to do the intro? <laughs> first time, Emer. First take. You're a pro. <laughs> I want to watch my back. Today is also a very special day. It is somebody's birthday in here. I think the 4-0 was what we heard. E Madigan, happy birthday to you. Thank you. 30 again. Is it your birthday? You <laughs> keep that very quiet. Yeah. We have a little, a little something here for you. So Ian, for your birthday, we got you a lovely little cake here from everybody here at Joe. Um, not sure if Fergus actually wants to sing you happy birthday, but we might, we might not embarrass you this time and, and leave, you, leave you off with that much. But have you got any nice plans for your birthday to celebrate it? Uh, just down with, the, down with the family tonight, so with mum and dad and my brother, so um, yeah, look, it'd be nice to spend it with them. I haven't seen them in the, in the new year, so um, yeah. Are you good. happy about, about getting old? Um, ah, look, I think if you hang around with people, they, they keep you young, so the, the, the younger guys in Ulster are certainly doing that, so um, yeah, look, another year, but keep on tr- trucking on, I suppose. <laughs> You're only hitting your prime right now is all exactly. I mean, that's it. So a really, really exciting day of rugby yesterday. And I think, you know, it was more than any of us expected with, with all, um, so with especially the last two games, Ireland 32, um, England 18. Um, where to start that brilliant Ireland performance against England or that crazy finish in Paris. But we'll start it with Johnny Sexton. He said last night that they had been saying for weeks how close they were to performance like that in terms of Ireland performances since the Grand Slam years. How does that rank, Frig? Yeah, I think the last time I saw a performance as good as that from Ireland would would have been the All Blacks, really, in the Aviva. I think it was just f- from the first minute till, till the very last, we dominated the game and we made that English side look very average. You know, it was just, it was so impressive. And um, I was delighted for the team because there has been pressure on them, some pressure on the coach, and this has... Uh, it's just finished the Six Nations on such a high note for them, and it's a, um, it can be a huge um, kind of point to just build from here. Like I think he'll, Andy Farrell will now be able to maybe um, rest a couple of guys that are tried and tested, and um, maybe going into November or the summer series, if there is is games there, um, he'll be able to try younger guys, you know, in certain positions um, and, and give a bit more exposure. So, um, yeah, they're, they're in a great place after, after that performance. It's almost annoying. It's at the end of the Six Nations. I think Ireland fans, Ireland as a, as a whole, are excited. I think the team are excited. They finally clicked. And it's really disappointing that, like, that's the end of the Six Nations for us. Yeah, certainly. Like everyone was talking about, you know, England potentially peaking for the last game. You know, there was a lot of talk about the, you know, the Saracens guys not getting enough game time leading into the competition that England were building their way through. But I think it was more, you know, pertinent for for Ireland. They were, you know, they very much grew into the competition. Um, the Welsh performance is obviously tainted with that red card, and um, you know they came up close against France. With, you know, with a good few injuries in the squad, but. 
the last three games, like they really found form. It was a, it was a very good performance against Scotland. Um, obviously, you know we dusted Italy off, you know, with ease. Um, but it all came together, as Ferg said. You know, from every facet of the game, from you know we dominated them in the scrum. We won the aerial battle. We you know moved England around the park. Um, and it was it was the best I've seen the interplay from Ireland. You know, backs with with forwards moving the point of contact. You know, it wasn't the one-off rugby, or it wasn't you know the high ball game that that we've relied on in, in, in previous years. It was it was something that you'd look at and go, we can really build on this and, and we can beat the best teams in the world playing rugby like that. And I think Mike Cat had been criticised about the lack of creativity in attack and we definitely saw building from the Italian game into the Scottish game, but especially yesterday, the creativity and two of the best tries Ireland have scored in a long time. Yeah, brilliant tries. And um, I think for Jack Conan's try, most players had touched the ball and... Just a brilliant sequence of play. We were getting over the game line nicely um, after a number of phases. Then Johnny puts in that brilliant kick, uh, which somehow Hugo Keenan won in the air uh, against Elliot Daly, who's outstanding in the air. I think with no advantage either. No, it was it was just a huge play by by Hugo Keenan, um, and he's just had like a brilliant Six Nations. Like he could be he could be a bolter to to go to the Lions maybe um, behind Stuart Hogg. I'd say Stuart Hogg is in the driving seat for, for 15, but um, by the way he's played, there's no reason why he shouldn't travel. But yeah, that try was just, it was just great to watch. There was a bit of everything. Um, I think the, the biggest difference in that game for me was just how much we were running onto the ball. You know, we were really running onto the ball. Um, and even when we did have one-off runners off nine, we had variety within that. So the guy that was getting it off nine would tip it on to the guy on the outside who was coming at full steam ahead or else on the inside or else sometimes they'd pull it to to Johnny or even Keith Earl sometimes was running yep. in the 12. They're just, the back seemed very comfortable and yeah, as you said, Maz, the interplay was, was outstanding. No, certainly. Like it was, it had everything in it. Um, and even watching the Scottish game, there was a period I was kind of looking at it, kind of going, you know, are we just going back to the high ball game again? Um, but then we, I thought we actually put some great passages of play together in that game. And, you know, that 100% grew our confidence going into the, the English match. But, you know, going into it, I was thinking, you know, England kind of had our number, you know, the last three or four times they've beaten us and they've beaten us well. You know, they've um, outmuscled us in, in the pack. And I was I was unsure, you know, how, how are Ireland going to go about this game? And, um Taking them on up front in that forward battle wasn't the way to beat them. Moving the point of contact, as you said, little tips inside and out, playing out the back, you know, running at their kind of fourth, fifth, sixth defender out. Um, the the contacts are nothing as you know mm. as hard as opposed to running you know tighter to, to to the breakdown. And we, we certainly did that really well. And um, as Ferg said, our speed onto the ball was you know the best I've seen. And tied into that is like the quality of our passing. And if mm. you look at like you look at how England played. And for the whole Six Nations, like their their quality of their passing has let them down, and that's something that like we you come to expect with with English sides. Usually they're up there with the best in the world, and um, you know we we certainly showed them yesterday. You know what good passing looks like, and you know running onto the ball with speed. So it was it was really positive to watch. Yeah, it wasn't just one thing they fixed. They fixed everything. You know, it was a system. It was the rock speed was better. The ball was coming quicker. The ball was better. They were hitting the outside channel, so it was a mixture of things, but it did finally come together. I was a skeptic with with Keith Earl's try, and I thought it was completely accidental. You know, really good <laughs> hands from Jack Conan until the third and fourth and fifth replay, where and then that clip that was on Twitter, 
of them practicing it in the warm up. I was complete skeptic about it, but that was phenomenal hands from Jack Conan. But also to get away with the speed of Earlsy, and he had been someone who has been criticised in the last few weeks. You know, why is he starting? Why is he there? I think last week he was phenomenal, and again this week, amazing. Like at at what thirty three years of age? Thirty two. Thirty two yeah, years of age. Yeah, uh, yeah, thirty two, and just signed another another year, um, and justifiably so. He's been playing brilliantly. Um, just he's just the type of guy um, from playing with with Earlsy. And from watching him, um, he never let the team down, whether it's for Munster or Ireland. And he's one of those players that stands up on the big days, and, and he did again yesterday. Like, he had no right to finish that try, really, when it got you know flicked back into him yeah. from Jack. Um, and to, to step Johnny May, um, you know, still going at full pace, and put him off balance by going in out and yeah. go on the outside uh, was just brilliant to finish. You know, he was... Yeah. He, he was he was running there like he was 21, so um, who's to say he might not travel to the, over in the lines as well after yeah, after, certainly. after after touring before. But um, I thought Jack Conan actually was brilliant. I thought I was delighted for him because he's had a tough year with injuries and you know there was the the back row battle in Leinster is there's so much quality there that there was you know question marks when he whether he was going to get back in there at one stage and then he's gotten his opportunity after playing some. You know, putting in some great performances in Leinster, Andy Farrell brought him back in, gave him his opportunity, and he fully just took that. Like he outplayed Billy Vunapola. I think uh, you, you saw like he's so comfortable in those fifteen meter channels. Yeah. That time um, he drew. In, he drew in. He got the and he got the down. ball out the back uh, from Johnny, and he just he dummied and went and and made you know a great gain line, and then even the decision making. Around the ruck there to pick and go, yeah. Um, just a really dynamic eight, and I think you know he could be, he could be a really good option for for Ireland going forward. Yeah, really, really positive, really, really, really good. Another thing, Johnny Sexton played a full eighty minutes yesterday. Um, again, you know, what did he score? Twenty two, twenty three points out of the full score. Still dominating it, still playing well, still top of his game. How difficult is that to do to to stay at the top of your game for so long? And a really good performance again from him yesterday. Yeah, for me, Johnny's been the, the form out half in the Six Nations. You know, he's he, you know, he outplayed Ford completely yesterday. Um, the other out half you'd probably look at would be someone like Dan Bigger, maybe. Um, but yeah, look, I, I think Johnny, the way he works, he's just so true to his process. And um, he, he would have fully believed, even after the first two games, he would have seen the direction that Ireland are going. And he would have been very planned out with the coaches and, and, the, and working with the players. Um, to, to put out a performance like that and it was interesting hearing him talking after the game and saying you know the only concerns Ireland will have will be backing up this performance and that, that just you know showed the confidence he had and how well prepared the team were and um, you know even from talking to the guys who were, who were in, in, in the squad you know they said that they'd been training really well but the performance hadn't quite been clicking you know on, on, on match day um, they definitely took a lot of confidence from the, you know, the Italy and Scottish game, and and it, it certainly came together for for you know the one that mattered. It absolutely did, and that leads us nicely to this clip from Johnny on his team's win, and Hugo Keenan on how important Sexton and Robbie Henshaw are to the team. Yeah, it was uh, it was brilliant. It was the performance, uh, apart from the first five ten minutes, uh, it was the performance that we want we wanted to produce against. One of the one of the real top sides, and we feel that 
you know, England with the results they've had over the last number of years would be would be up there with the best sides in the world and, and we wanted to put in a performance um you know that 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 did us you know, we, we've worked hard over this last eight weeks and we felt that we weren't too far away and we said these things and I think I don't think you guys sort of listened to us um and you know, we felt we weren't too far away and, and I think it all came together today in, in parts. Still lots we can get better at and you know, we need to keep getting better, that's the key now. Uh, well, it, it's it's Faz and Caddy and, and and the players. Um, you know the you know the the team stuff is, is led by by Andy and 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 uh, Caddy is obviously in charge of the starter plays. And you know it's it, it's a little bit of everything, isn't it? It's a little bit of you know we did the forwards improving the set piece so much um, from from the last. That's important for your attack. The rook being improved is is big for your attack. Um, and the players buying into and doing their job like that's you know it's a mixture of things you know what I mean and, and it was never you know when things weren't clicking for a couple of games it was never one person's uh, fault or you know it was, it was a collective thing and um, look we saw some good stuff today it's still stuff that we can like I said get better at and and you know we, we set a standard in some areas today that we need to to keep you know for for next November or summer tour, where I don't, you know, it's hard to know what's what's next, um, and then into next year's Six Nations. You know, we we've got to we've got to keep getting better, and, and now we have to strive for consistency. Ah, look, like to start, like he's an unbelievable player. Like he's he's got that experience, doesn't he? And like slotting those kicks today was just huge. I know his kicking accuracy this whole campaign's been brilliant, but like to keep putting the pressure on England on a side like that to keep the foot on their neck was, was just huge today. Keep that sport scoreboard ticking over and put the pressure on them. And um, that's what he brings. Like he's, he's an unbelievable leader, unbelievable captain. And um, yeah, he's, he's so passionate about the team and stuff. So it was great, great to see him go so well and, and perform. Robbie Henshaw seems to be covering every blade of grass there and just out there kind of smashing into tackles as well. What is it like to have a guy like him playing on the pitch and just making big hits and big plays all over the place? Oh, he, he's an animal, isn't he? He was unbelievable today and he's been a standout performer for the whole campaign and fairness to him, like he, he keeps stepping up uh, game after game, delivering. Like he, he, he can do it all, to be honest. He's got that whole rounded game. He's a, he's a great footballer. And he's a big, powerful guy, and then he brings that to his defence as well. So, um, ah, it's been unbelievable to see him go so well. And he's he's someone who I've gotten a lot closer to since since making my debut. So um, it was it was enjoyable seeing him uh, play so well. And um, yeah, it's been great. The opening thirty minutes were dominated by Robbie Henshaw. He seemed to be everywhere in defence and in attack. And I think the most notable thing about Henshaw is. When Ireland were, you know, under pressure in the first 15 minutes, he was the guy to step up and he was the one who led the charge both in attack and defence. And it's it's in times, you know, of tough, tough times where you need a player like that to stand up and to step mm. up. And, and Robbie was the guy who did that at the start of the game yesterday. Yeah, he was. And, and Robbie's always one of those players. But um, like his performance yesterday was just, it was incredible, really, um, because the reality is, in the first um, ten minutes, when England went um, three 0 up, they also had an opportunity to, you know, to score that try once they kicked the line out. And I think they they launched off a, a line at our scrum, and Robbie hit. Um, I think he 
he hit Owen Farrell or, or maybe Elliot Daly out the yeah. back and really good read yeah. and uh, just completely shut it down. And it was at a stage where, you know, they get over the game line there, they make a bit of momentum. You know, it could be could be eight, ten nil up. And um, he just had so many of those kind of game-changing moments um, in attack. He was outstanding in the air as well. Like repeatedly throughout the Six Nations, he's been brilliant in the air, putting all sorts of pressure on. So, um, yeah, I think he's got to be in the driving seat to... to be in the centre in the uh, on that Lions tour for the test because whether it's twelve or thirteen, I think yesterday showed that you know you kind of you kind of there's question marks over what's his actual best position yeah. between twelve and thirteen because he's been brilliant for for Ireland when he has that opportunity at thirteen as well. Um, but just such a good player, such a good reader, and uh, yeah. Great game. Yeah, like defensively, it looked like he was kind of defensive leader of the backs, and um, Ireland really rattled England. You know, they they changed up. You know, there was sometimes they went with like a hard, hard rushing four, where you know, ten, twelve, thirteen, open yeah. wing just went and slammed the door, and and then there was other times when they kind of sat off a bit, and England didn't know what, what Ireland were doing. Yeah. Like we were dictating to the attack. Um, and George Ford throws that pass into touch because he's spooked yeah. at that yeah. stage. He's he doesn't know. Like. He doesn't know whether they're coming or going. Like that looks like just a poor pass, but the reality is there's a lot going on in in, in Ford's head. He's like, is that guy shooting? But is he not? Especially you know. England, who are in the past, you know, have pinned teams back from their kicking game, from their really strategic kicks. They weren't existent yesterday because they didn't have the time yeah. to make those decisions and to pin teams back and to pin Ireland back yesterday. Really? Yeah, I think that that George Ford's kicking out of hand like just wasn't it wasn't good enough and and but the reason it wasn't good enough was because it was it was back football he was getting so um there was an awful lot more pressure being put on Ford when he was trying to um you know put those kicks in from Josh van der Fleer from from Tyg Byrne from all of the forwards and uh yeah that strategy just wasn't working for them so when you take that away from England really they just have the power game, and, and Ireland actually fronted up. And I know you said, Mads, um, we did move them around and all the rest, but I actually thought we physically dominated yeah. them as well. I thought, like, one that summed it up was CJ running... Three feet one. <laughs> yeah, CJ running in, and there was three of them tried to hit him as hard as he could. He just ran straight at them, and um, it looked like he, he sparked Tom Curry, and yeah. uh, Billy Vunapola was a bit worse for wear, and... Then uh, not long after that, uh, Josh van der Fleer rip, ripped the ball off off Billy as well. So um, just moments like that that just like you could see the English were looking around, going, "What do we have to do here?" And uh, um, just such a complete performance. And um, just hats off to to the players, but the coaches as well for getting the guys um, just so well prepared for that game. Yeah, absolutely. You said moments in the game that have turned you know, that do turn the, the game and it's only little things but little things like the stuff that Tide Byrne did yesterday he was a menace mm. and he doesn't matter where he is whether he's in the back row or second row he still does exactly what he's supposed to do and does it in such a good way yeah like you know everyone was talking up Atoje before the game and, and you know effectively Ty did what you'd expect Atoje to do he came up I actually bar the start of the game he completely outplayed him. You, know, yeah. you barely saw Toji as the game went on. You know, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, Tig's ability to get over the ball—he's he's up there at the best in the world. You know, he's coming up with consistently two, three, four turnovers a yeah. game, and like they're big, big moments. Mm. And like the difference for a team when you're winning a penalty around the halfway line, and suddenly you're attacking it—you know, attacking in, in the twenty-two—and 
when you're as organised as Ireland are, like every single time we seem to get into the, the England 40, we came away with points. Yeah. And like they, like England actually had plenty of opportunities. You know, they they had probably five or six attacking opportunities. They came away with I think three or six points. You know, in the first half for the, the amount of chances they had, um, and that takes its toll. You know, and, um, and other things like <clears throat> Byrne turned got a turnover off the kick after the kick receipt. He just got in the you know he created a mall there. A like it's the, that's like, a huge moment. Like it's yeah. the the smarts that he has as well, it's the game yeah. understanding and to know to come around on the other side of it and, and create that mall and like, they're the moments that, they're so little but they're so, so huge to Ireland. A hundred percent and it just makes, it makes this final, um, I think some of the performances from the guys yesterday makes this final this week really exciting. I think some of the uh, Munster lads are playing some of the best rugby of their lives and um, you know, the, the, some of the Leinster guys are, are coming into good form as well, but then there's also injuries in the Leinster camp, so it, it, it makes for a great game. But um, uh, together, they all played outstanding. Yeah, another guy who got quite a lot of criticism in the last while has been Conor Murray. And bizarrely, you know, there was a lot of talk in the media about why didn't he come on last week at all. Um, I think he put those critics to Betty and what do you think? Yesterday, he, again, will be such a standout player from Munster next weekend, but played yeah, again. It, it was very much the, the kind of Conor Murray you know we've we've come to expect you know it was just one of those games where he was just on it like everything he did he executed really well his box kicking was great gave you know gave the wingers chasing every chance he, I, I thought his speed was really good um you know people have talked about like Craig Casey and and Jameson Gibson Park that maybe they're they're bringing a bit more speed to the game I'm sure Connor's been aware of that um but his his ability yesterday to get to the breakdown quickly and, and keep the ball moving um was a huge part of, of why Ireland's attack was so fluid. Um, but yeah, like he's you know another guy who's definitely going to have played himself into into Lions contention off the back of that performance. You know, up till the game yesterday, it's probably been a, a frustrating Six Nations for him. You know, the, the team got off to a slow start, then he picks up an injury, um, and it was probably a big call to put him back in for that. Mm. Um, in fairness to Jameson, I thought he played well last week. Um, but you know Murray showed showed his true class and, and his experience yesterday, and um, it was a, a, a brave call by the coaches, and it paid off. I think his kicking game is always consistent as well. You know, you always know that these kicks are going to be. I think that's one of his strengths. And yes, you know, there was a time where Ireland went too and relied too heavily on his kicking game, but I think he reads it perfectly when to when to kick and with the likes of Keenan or Earlsey there outside. You know, it's it's a game plan you have to you have to implement. Yeah, definitely. I think when you see Hugo Keenan getting up and winning that ball, that's that's why Ireland have the strategy sometimes to kick. So it's that those calculated moments where they know it's the right time, Johnny's getting the right ball, Connor's getting the right ball. But I actually thought it was it was really encouraging to to see that Connor wasn't really box kicking kind of from the halfway line and, and into the green zone of the of, of England's uh, twenty two. So because, you know, in years gone by and maybe recently when things were, we weren't playing great in the autumn, that was happening quite a lot and it was quite negative, whereas we were just playing. We were playing yeah. uh, in the right parts of the field and then when Connor did have to kick, he executed perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. We can't move on, I suppose, without chatting about CJ Stander. What a man, what um, performance again yesterday. You know, he's been consistent, 150 caps for Munster, 51 caps for Ireland. Um, disappointing week, I suppose, of that news about CJ's retirement, but he was he was very emotional afterwards. I know we were chatting about beforehand, his 
his um, post-game interview, you know, showed the emotion and uh, around the game and I suppose around the retirement as well. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone saw that coming. Um, you know, he's obviously come to the decision. Um, it must be must have been a very tough period with his. You know, he's he's got a he's got a daughter and his his wife is is uh, in South Africa with with their baby daughter. So and he's I'm sure he's been missing that family time. And this is maybe just a, a, it seems to be a decision where he wants to try and go out on top, and he's certainly doing that. Like still playing incredible rugby, and. Um, yeah, it's been a been an amazing servant for for both Munster and uh, and Ireland, and um, I, I think you know he, he'll be a big loss to the camp because he was probably a bit of a leader in there. But um, um, all the best to him anyway, and I'm sure Munster will give him a good send off uh, this this week. They'll try it anyway. Hopefully they will. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Here's Andy Farrell on CJ's final game in the green jersey and his team's win. Well. Um yeah, um, I've just said to him in the changing rooms though that he can be as emotional as he as he wants to be now because uh, he's given his heart and soul to to the jersey, you know, to 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 the to the green one and and to the red one, and um, he's he's a chance to play in a, in a cup final though for for Munster next week, so uh, we, we we wish him all the best with that. But it's, it's been. It's been an emotional week that we've tried to keep a lid on it as best he can, and you know you, you can say whether we should have should have uh, uh, brought that out or not. But it, it was fitting that CJ was able to um, say goodbye to his friends and tell them the truth and where he's coming from and for reasons why, etc. And how they've responded to him and how he's kept a smile on his face has been has been uh, totally fitting to 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 what this team is about and. Uh, we're delighted that we're able to put a, a performance together for CJ to send him off in the right way. We're, we're delighted that we've managed to control the emotion in the right way. Um, and uh, yeah, he's um, he's emotional in the change rooms, but uh, happy emotional. You know, he's uh, he's. I cannot say enough about him. You know, as a, as a, as a bloke, he's 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 the most kind-hearted, most genuine bloke that that you'll ever meet, and uh, he, he'll be a mate forever. So there's no doubt that CJ Sander will be a difficult person to fill um, or difficult shoes to fill for CJ Sander. But, you know, the back row is not somewhere we have lacked in strength and depth in Ireland. You know, there's so many amazing players out there. And, you know, we saw Jack Conan stepping in, not having played a lot of rugby, international rugby in the last while, but slotting in seamlessly. Who do we think will be the next CJ Sander? Um, I don't think that... CJ Stander had his own style of play, and I, I don't think, um, I don't think anyone's going to go in there and try to do what CJ did. He did what he did very well, but I think there's some really exciting um, guys coming through. Um, you know, Caelan Doris has been brilliant, and unfortunately for him, um, he was having issues with with concussion, and and that kind of halted his his uh, charge to try, you know, you know, grasp that eighth jersey maybe and. And maybe even try push the likes of CJ to to six or Peter Manny and um, I've no doubt that he he will get back in the Irish team at some stage. But you saw what happened yesterday. Like Jack Conan, just he he brings something different. I think his um, his athleticism and his his speed and decision making, as he said, yeah. with the ball in hand on the edges there, on top of being extremely physical when he needs to be, is it's a great option. So some nice headaches there for for the coaching staff going forward. Yeah, like as you said, that both Jack and 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 Caelan, they offer something a bit different. You know, they 
they mightn't have the repeat effort that, that CJ has. It's probably his biggest strength, his ability to just keep going. And he puts in, you know, phenomenal carries. A lot of the time, his carries are nearly just to get parity to the game line, keep, you know, keep your team in, in the phase of play. Um, but I think that, you know, the two guys you mentioned there, they probably have a bit more to their game, you know, um, a bit more subtle footwork, their ability to tip the ball on. So... Um, they're better footballers. Like, yeah, I would, yeah. I would say that they're better footballers, and I, that, I don't think that's harsh on CJ. I think no. that his, as you say, his game is the repeat effort, the like twenty carries a game. Yeah. You know, you know, could be twenty tackles on top of that, but a huge work rate. <coughs> but um, probably not the the same athlete. Well, isn't the same athlete as the likes of a Jack Cohen yeah. or a Kalen that has those other attributes. Yeah, and in fairness, down in Munster, like Gavin Coons has stepped up. Um, you know he's he's taken all his opportunities really well, and in these good clubs, you know when a big player leaves, you, you know you, they're not going to stand still and and and, mm -hmm. and mourn it. You know once there's a finely tuned machine, it's going to move on very quickly, and um, you know not that CJ would be forgotten, but you know there's guys who are going to step in and, and and step up. Yeah, and I do think look, there's no fear of the Ireland back row. I think there's plenty of depth, and the future is absolutely <coughs> bright in looking at that back row there. Um, another main talking point of the game yesterday was Bundyaki's red card. Um, I suppose, any issues with it? Andy Farrell said that he felt that Vonapola could have dipped his head into it. I think, you know, no. everything looks worse in slow-mo, doesn't it? No, it's a red card. Yeah, and I know, you know, both players and, and supporters are probably getting a bit frustrated with, you know, the number of red cards we've seen. Um, but for me, until the players start realising, look, these are the rules and you've got to start changing your technique, um, we're going to keep seeing them, and it, I think it's going to happen. You know, where players are going to, actually going to realise I'm in a bad position here, and we're going to see some guys having to pull out of tackles and be a bit more passive. And I actually think it could create a bit more space on the pitch. Mm. Um, you know, but you, there's you can't carry your shoulder at that height anymore. Like it's not like Billy, Billy's a, a small guy; he's huge and he's tall. Um, and you know it's it's scary when you see a big guy like that getting knocked out. Like there was serious force behind it, and um, not for me. It was it's a clear red, and um, you know I'm sure he's going to get a, a lengthy enough ban off the back of it. Yeah, yeah it was. It, it's never nice to see people. You know that those sort of head knocks. It really isn't. Um, and the force that it must have taken to knock someone like him out. Like the amount of contacts he takes in games, and he's always absolutely fine. So yeah, listen. I don't think there's any defending. Uh, Bundy, like I'm sure Bundy would agree that um, it was just a red card. He caught him straight in the chin, and um, it's not it's not for Billy Vunapola to worry about what someone's going to do or where his head is going. He, like I don't think that's a I don't think it's a very valid point to say that he dipped his head. He's he's got to be aware there, and he was quite upright. And uh, yeah, it was unfortunate, but listen, it didn't cost Ireland. And uh, if anything, actually, Bundy went off and. We still played better rugby than them, and we still like, yeah. played them off the park. And they did put on a bit of pressure, and they scored um, those couple of tries. Um, but really, we outplayed them for the full game, and that was including when when uh, we went down to fourteen. Yeah, like before that red card, you know, I think it was twenty six six. I was looking at it going, "We have England absolutely beaten here." You know, this could end up being forty to six. You know, it, it, it had the look that it was going to be a complete thrashing. And it was, it nearly looked the opposite to what it looked like in autumn. You know, I, I thought in the, watching that game, I was like, Jesus, England have us broken here. Uh, they could really pull away and they didn't. Um, but it was a complete flip 
of, of what happened there. And um, as, as you said, we just completely played them off the park. Mm, I think the, the, the one of the standout comments from the commentary for me when I, when I was watching was uh, Michael Corcoran said that when Ireland scored the Jack, Jack Conan's try, um, the Irish lads were back on, on halfway in a huddle talking and, you know, clear messages obviously being sent in from, um, you know, Connor, CJ, the, the, the leaders as Johnny was taking the kick and the English lads were, uh, Michael Corkin said the English lads were just scattered everywhere. It looked like they were social distancing. And you just, you just wonder, like, yeah. what, like, did they really, were they really, they were so far from being dialed in for that game. Like, I, I, I don't know what it was. Like, even... Owen Farrell gives away that penalty where he does the extra roll and he's smiling afterwards. It's like, yeah. you know, there's a few things like that. I just think that... Um, it's mindset, really, it was, it? It, was, it was just a great day for Irish rugby to yeah. do that to, to a really good English side and make them look um, lost, really. What about England, though? Champions last year, Autumn Nations Cup winners too. They're now going to finish fifth place and Eddie Jones is under severe pressure again. <laughs> yeah, I don't think... Um, Many people out there be too uh, feel too sorry for Eddie Jones yeah. being under pressure. He doesn't do himself. <laughs> doesn't How have do they fallen apart so badly? Any favours? Well, I mean they were World Cup finalists, um, so huge expectation. And if anything, they're they're probably very disappointed with how they performed in the final. Um, obviously, South Africa uh, well deserved winners, but um, going into that final, they're probably favourites. And I think from there. Um, I don't think it's been a f complete fall from grace, but they're just not the same team they were. They're quite inconsistent. Like um, last week was was you know a really strong performance for them in the second half against France. They turned the screw, and I suppose the worry uh, yesterday for for Ireland was were they going to turn the screw like they did yeah. for the second like they did against France um, and do the same to us and and. Um, I just think Ireland's Ireland's uh, strategy and composure um, just shone through, and um, they just didn't allow any um, way for England to get back into the game. Ian, is it the loss of those big players like Tulagi, Underhill, Launchbury, or you know, was it the lack of game time that the the Saracens boys had? Can you put it down to those different things? Yeah, there's definitely an element of them being too loyal to the, the Saris guys. I, I don't think that worked out from in in this Six Nations. Um, I'd also you'd be you'd have to be concerned with their discipline. You know, it definitely cost them a couple of games. And for me, looking back, like at the the automation, that discipline thing comes down from the top. Like you know, we all know that, like yeah, uh, we've all been coached by maybe some coaches that didn't drive the highest standards. Maybe in around the place, off the field, um, the way they talked to people, the way they carried on, and that just filters down very quickly. And I think that they, you know. Their big game players do give away an awful lot of penalties. Like Itoje is a bit of a penalty machine for like them. Like he'd be pulled off on any other team. Like the amount of penalties he gives away, like it's just. Like I know captains yeah. that I've had would just absolutely berate them for what for that amount of penalties per game. Yeah, no, it, it, it's one hundred percent from the top down, and even seeing like a, a coach making three substitutions at half time, it just looks like he's kind of out of control. Especially like seeing your out half going off at half time. <laughs> So much has gone wrong. Like the game plan clearly hasn't worked. You're, you're then deciding that you're going to go with a different guy who probably hasn't been running it out half. You're going to completely change your back line. Mm. It's just, it just do, didn't look like there was much thought behind it. He looked like someone who was really scrambling. 
Well, look, it was a great day for Ireland anyway, yeah, either way. <laughs> um, so what a chaotic finish in Paris, however. France 32, Wales 30. France were down to 14 men and trailing 30-20 with 20 minutes to go. I had to watch the match back again and figure out how the hell did they do it? Like, how did they end up being 10 points down and manage to come back again? Fergie, it was a phenomenal finish. It was an incredible finish. It was just a... It was just an unbelievable game of rugby to watch as a neutral and um, particularly nice for every Irish person after in high spirits after we won. But um, I, I couldn't believe that Wales didn't win the game because when Reece Samet tries to score that try in the corner and it looked like it did, but the TMO said that it touched off. It was yeah. just, but that was like two inches. Yeah. It was such a, a good effort for him to finish. They score that try there. They're... Like it's over. Realistically, that game is, is put to bed, and somehow France just clawed their way back into it. And um, I just think, it, like the way France did that, it, it's it's a scary, um, it's a scary proposition to think what this French side could be in a couple of years because they're building something really special. Like to to do that to um, a really experienced Welsh side that were going for a Grand Slam and pull it out of the bag at the end was very impressive. I don't think. Wales helped themselves, obviously going down to 13 men. I think they pressed, pressed the panic button a small yeah. bit um, when France got within that score. But still, France had to show the composure and get down on that. Like they played some, they had some beautiful interplay between the backs and forwards to get it out to Brice Dulan. But what the game actually, like after the match, after both games, I was going like, this just points out how much we, we miss the crowds at the game. Can you imagine the oh noise God. in yeah. in the Stade de France there and uh, and the noise in the Aviva with the performance that Ireland put in? So such a shame. Yeah, it really was an incredible performance from from both sides. You know, I thought Wales played brilliant stuff as well. You know, and a lot of being said leading up to it that you know they'd been lucky in some of their games, but I thought against England, Wales were were, were brilliant. Played some great stuff. Um, and yeah, it was just as you said there. They they probably pushed the panic button too too soon. Like I think when you're when you're scrambling there and a team is unrelenting with their attack, you've got to be really smart when you infringe. Mm. And like you look at Liam Williams' one there, like they're not under pressure. It's around the halfway line. They've just put a clearance kick in. That you don't need to do something but stupid like, like that. The, the, the end of that game was just pandemonium, like because you had um, I can't remember the name of the. The back rower, the French back rower, they got, or the sorry, is it Willemsen, wasn't it? Yeah, Will Willemsen oh, yeah. gets the red as well, like you know. And I, yeah. I, to be honest, I did, and that try was disallowed as a result, and then the penalty. The try was disallowed, yeah, and, and then so they go down to fourteen, but then yeah. like you know, Wales are down to fourteen, then they're going to go down to thirteen. It was just so much going on in the and game. And France had been held up about four or five times in that period of time. They were under, like Wales were under severe pressure. They were held up, held up, held up. Penalty advantage, score a try, try disallowed. Red card, like there was just, it was so hard to keep track of yeah. what was happening. Liam Williams was, I don't know if he practices that at training or something, but he is incredible at doing, at yeah. getting his hand on Ridiculous. the ball. Um, unbelievable. And, and really, I suppose actually in the balance of it, Josh Adams' try, you, you could argue, you know, was that really a try? In fairness, you, you like to, give the, you like to see, see the TMO giving the benefit to the attackers. Yeah. But question marks over that, so I maybe it cancelled out with yeah. the, the Reece Samet one in the end. Yeah. 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 I agree. I didn't I didn't think it was and I think the way the the way that um Luke Pierce worded it was strange too. It was almost like on field decision is a try. Can you show me why it isn't? And the way he worded it was almost like I'm giving this try. He was dead cert on that and it looked like a, it looked like it was held up. 
yeah, it was such it was just such a good game. I think I really when we were talking before the show, like really feel for 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 Alan Wynne Jones in a way. Um, you know, um, he's been just an incredible um, competitor and player for so long, and you know, we'll we'll be going on the Lions if he stays fit. We'll probably captain the Lions, but um, it would have been a, a a pretty good landmark or pretty cool landmark for him to to get four grand slams and that one unfortunately slipped away but they could still win the competition depending on what happens uh, next week with France and Scotland. Yeah, there was a lot of talk in the last few weeks and I suppose again yesterday with the amount of cards, amount of TMO decisions, amount of, you know, there's there's a lot of, of communication among the referee and the TMO these days and um, how did they do in those big calls yesterday? Like there was a lot. There was the there was the red card on the eye gouging. Was that an eye mm. gouge? Was it a, was it accidental? Should it have been a yellow? Should it have been a red? Mm. The um, we were chatting about Reece Samet's mistry. You know, should there be a rule that that's in? Yeah, I, I I think the ref did a very good job. You know, it was the kind of game where where you could nearly lose control. Um, but I'm a big fan of Luke Pearce. I like the way he communicates with the players. He keeps the game moving. Um, for me, the the red card, I don't think he's intentionally eye-gouging him, mm. but I do think, I still think it's a red card because he, he's got to think that he's he's going to be around his face, you know, and you just can't grab like that, you know, whether it catches someone's mouth, their ear, gets into their eye, um, even just scratching your face, like, you know, for me personally, I wouldn't be, wouldn't be a fan of that. You know? <laughs> he looked like he's got material over the ears. <laughs> so, no, it's, I, like, you, I don't think any player now is going out with the intention of eye gouging someone, you know, and, and um, but at the same time, it's a bit reckless, it's a bit careless, uh, and it looks, it looks terrible on the slow-mo. Um, but other than that, I thought, I thought the, the, the other cards were fairly spot on. You know, there's some cynical ones in there. Yeah, some of the, so I felt some of the Welsh players were pro- probably plugging it a little bit too much to try. I know they, they were going back to look at it, but like calling for him, him to go a little bit. And there was a couple of them in the refs here, and I, I just I don't like to see that either. Um, it's all well and good if the captain maybe yeah. mentions to look at something, but you don't want to see that, you know. And um, yeah, he got sent off, but as you say, I, I don't think there was any intent behind it because he wasn't even like he wouldn't have even been looking at where his hand was really. He was just trying to yeah. flick him over the rook. So, um, but listen, hats off to France; they still managed to pull it out of the bag with uh, with fourteen. Yeah, there was a lot of that actually yesterday, where there was a lot of communication with the referee outside of the captains. Even was Fiku held up, and they thought he he got a try, and they were pleading at the ref to go back and look at that as well in the in among the drama of the last 10 minutes there was that as well there was so much to talk about but um it'd be good to see like I know in the NRL they've got like the captain's challenge so like if if you're not happy with a call whether it's a knock-on or a high shot you get one go or you can go to the ref can you review that <laughs> teams could start no just one chance but teams, just one yeah chance. but teams could start taking the mickey then because then if you if you say after 30 minutes there's a big call and I'm the, cat, I'm the skipper and I go, I need to challenge that. Then as the, you as the opposition could be like, right lads, we can do what we want here because there's no other challenge. There's no other challenge. The game's still going to be refereed. There's no other challenge. The game's left. still going to be It's not like the referees leave the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> They're still there. I do Free agree. I, no, but I do agree with you because I think that it is, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a fair bit of time. It does add to the drama of the game at times, and it's, it's a big talking point for fans and spectators. It is, these kind of decisions are, yeah. you know, people do like to talk about them, but I do think it takes away from the game at times, and I do think some, it, can, it can stop the flow of a match as well, and you don't like to see that. So if 
the referee and his um, his uh, TMO and and, and uh, fourth officials could um, just make the decisions a little bit quicker. So sometimes it's a little bit dragged out. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is, and like the, the way the game's going now, like the TMO is nearly more important than the ref. It's like how well can he analyze the game and pick up high shots, and you know, yeah, it's it's something you want to be careful with as well. You don't want to, you don't like games going on for a hundred minutes. Mm. No, absolutely not. Um, Post-match, Fabian Gaultier was not shy about what he felt was Welsh play acting. He declared, "If you really watch the reaction of the Welsh players, they specialize in making the opponents get red cards." Their body language is quite clear. I hope the referee takes that into consideration. I don't think Paul deserves a sanction. Does Gaultier have a point there? Um, Do you think the players are being told to he's, you he's know, exaggerate? We're reading between the lines there. He's basically saying that Wales are good at... Acting. <laughs> well, they're good at drawing red cards out of a ref. and I don't really know what to take from that, to be honest. Yeah. I don't really know how you could do that, but... Um, Maybe, maybe, well, maybe he's maybe he's pointing out that the, what we just talked about there that he felt that the the Welsh were were making a, a you know a, a fair bit out of that and I think he the the, the player it happened to I think it was was it Jones the prop um, that 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 Willem said she yeah. grabbed by the face yeah. um, <laughs> like he he still remained on the field and you know he was okay so yeah. but his reaction was like. You know, David Ginola playing for Newcastle back in the day. He was rolling around the place on the yeah. ground. So, um, <laughs> yeah, also earlier on in the game, Fiku got a high tackle and he was like screaming and roaring for it, and it was barely even, barely even touched. You know, yeah, I think we're going to have a, a period now where like players are still adjusting to how these like high shots are being refed. That like you're going to see players um, who receive a high shot. You're going to they're just going to stay down because they're going to go. Well, I know I got a shoulder to the head there. Yeah. I'm fine. But if I get up, it's not going to be reviewed. If Does I that stay happen down, to you a few weeks ago? I got up and dusted myself <laughs> off here. <laughs> no, but if, if, you, if you continue on, it's, it's, it, there's a good chance it's not going to be seen and not yeah. going to be checked. Whereas if you stay down and the play has to be stopped, you can be guaranteed Absolutely. the TMO is going to go, oh, well, what actually happened here? Jesus, shoulder to the head, red card. Um, so, so I think there is definitely going to be a period of time where while players are adjusting and realising you can't put in these high shots anymore, mm. we're going to continue to see stoppages in play, yeah. more red cards. Yeah, and the, rea- and, the reality, and the reality is that, um, say if Bundy hit, hit Billy Vinopola as he did, but he was absolutely fine, the ball was um, recycled, they kept yeah. playing. And then yeah. maybe 45 seconds later, the, the play player breaks down and the team was like, oh, I think we should look at this. Like... Probably yellow. Well, yeah, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not a red because he might go. Well, the player is fine. There's a yeah. bit of mitigation yeah. and la da da. Whereas, like Billy was just knocked out there, so it can be dependent on, on what actually happens to the player as well. And I think if you have players, um, carrying on like, um, you know, trying to trying to draw that as I say out of the referees, it's never good. But hopefully that doesn't come into the game. No, no. But yeah, at the end of the day, this law has been brought in for safety of the players, not for you know. Yeah, which, is needed, which, is, which, which is needed, which is which is needed as well, particularly with all all of the reporting and and the some some of the ex players that have come out around concussion and all that. So the the more care that's taken, the, the better. Yeah. Game, yeah. France can now win the championship if they beat Scotland by more than twenty points and with a try scoring bonus point next Friday in Edinburgh. That should be a cracker. Right, we'll take a quick break now and we'll be back with some more Six Nations and Pro Fourteen final talk in part two. 
To take you there, producer Pat caught up with my Ireland teammate Anna Capeless during the week to talk about the Tackle Your Feelings campaign with Rugby Players Ireland and Zurich encouraging people to be kind online. Yeah, all well, all guns blazing. We have a little bit of time off now, which was, uh, you know, un- unexpected because we should have been playing Spain like last weekend, um, followed by a weekend off. But obviously that was called off. So um, we're, yeah, a bit of time off to kind of regenerate, reboost and go again now uh, running into the Six Nations. Yeah, we gave um we gave Emer uh the weekend off from House of Rugby there. We gave her a weekend off. So I think she's gonna be back this weekend straight back oh, into it. Great. She won't know herself with the weekend off. Yeah. <laughs> um I'd follow you on Twitter, like and you'd see you'd be getting up behind campaigns or you don't really mind coming out and kind of sharing your opinion out there as well. Like it's it's um it's good to see. Like I know some like some of the, your teammates they kind of they don't want to kind of rock the boat too much or they just want to keep their head down and keep working. But you're happy enough to kind of get out there and engage with people in, in a good way and even like defend yourself as well every now and then. Yeah, I hope so. And for me, um, and for, for a lot of my teammates as well, you know, taking part in, in kind of debate or like standing up to, to people or defending myself or defending me and my teammates or, or my sport that I play um, yeah, it's, it's important to me, like, trust me as well, there's a lot of tweets I've written and I've been like hovering over the send button and I haven't sent it because, you know, like that, you do have to, you know, you do have to think about the people that you're representing and you don't want to get into a big massive confrontation with anyone online. But sometimes I do take the decision like, no, this is what I believe in and this is what I, you know, stand up for. And I hope that what I say is kind of respectful of um you know, the, the, the teams that I represent and my teammates and, and things like that, even though obviously any view I, I express, like anyone, you know, on, on Twitter, social media, it's, they're my own views. And um, I, it, it is important to me to, you know, use my voice and my platform to, you know, hopefully, you know, spread, spread a good message what, on whatever topic that might be. I don't know, like, you might not have seen the full details of it there because they only announced it this morning, but already been asked about it already, but... Uh, World Rugby were announcing the details of this WXV tournament where it's, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, if there's a top three Six Nations finish, you get to compete against the likes of, you know, New Zealand, Australia, even Canada and USA. Like, that's got to be, it's great to see a bit of progress made there, isn't it? Definitely. I, you're right. I haven't seen much in it. I only just, uh, I've seen probably just as much as you have about mm. it. I didn't know, I didn't even know it was called WXV. I just saw that there was a new tournament. So that's, uh, that's exciting, especially after, you know, all the disappointing news this year of things being postponed and pushed off and one thing after the other. And so it's really nice to get a bit of good news and um, something really big to aim towards now. It's not just, you know, usually for us, it's like Six Nations, Six Nations, Six Nations, Six Nations, World Cup. And then you go again and to have something kind of in the interim now to aim for that, uh, you know, has a bit of silverware at the end, you know, because we've got, you know, we've been lucky to take part in Autumn International the last few years, but, uh, mm. you know, they're kind of token tests, really. Um, whereas, you know, an actual tournament, a world tournament, like, that's, that's, it, that's amazing. And I'm, I'm really happy to hear that announcement this morning. I was chatting to Leah Lyons, like, who's over with Queens as well, and, and she was having to take a job in Tesco, you know, like, when because she had lost a coaching job at a college as well and yeah um you know that, that type of stuff that people might not be aware of like that here's an Ireland international you know having to go and you know get get a regular kind of job like just to kind of keep going because something else is kind of falling through I was wondering how it worked out for yourself like what happened when all rugby stopped like were you able to still work away or like what was your situation 
I was uh, working for Harlequin's Foundation as a development coach, which I absolutely loved. And like, to be honest, it was like my dream job, like, because I'm a teacher, I'm a qualified teacher. And I, when I, last year with Harlequin's, I decided to work, I decided to work part time so that I could fully commit to, to training um, throughout the week. So I, you know, I had a worked out a schedule with Harlequin's Foundation that I could train, I could work around my training schedule. So that was, that was really great. Um, frustratingly with the pandemic, um, I moved back to Ireland for a bit and then went back to the UK and then things had kind of changed. So I, I lost that job um, mm. essentially be, because, from all the kind of moving around and that was disappointing, but um, it's now, left me in a place where I, I, you know, I decided recently just to, to come back to, to Ireland to focus on the World Cup qualifiers, which then were postponed. So mm. um, it was all just kind of one thing after the other. So, you know, I'm a, I spent a lot of years in college studying languages and becoming a teacher. And now I'm like, you know, just uh, making coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I just started working in a coffee shop, which oh, is wow. fine. Yeah. And that's fine for me. And I'm, I'm happy to do that, you know, to put my playing career, you know, um, first you know, in these last few years of, of my playing career, um, to, to prioritize that, but it means that, uh, you know, you're, yeah, like, you know, like Leah going, taking a job in Tesco, like, um, you know, me going, making coffee, even though to be fair, all those days that I was like, when I was teaching, you know, and marking books and you're marking exams like late into the night and I was stressed and all I was saying to myself was like, I wish I just worked in a coffee shop. <laughs> So now I'm just taking advantage of that and just kind of uh, getting by for now um, and waiting to see what's going to happen with the schedule. Because if the schedule opens up and, you know, depending on what fixtures are to come in the next couple of months, if there's an opportunity to go back and finish out the season with Harlequins, I will. Um, you know, it's another year now till the World Cup, so it remains to be seen where I'll go from here. But, um, you know taking a job as, as a teacher is a massive commitment we've let plenty of teachers on on the squad you know on the Irish squad but for me now to go into a teaching role I wouldn't want to um you know fully commit to, to something like that if I was to you know then go back to Harlequins and in, in you know in a couple of weeks time so there's a lot of chopping and changing but it's all it's all you know due to COVID really that uh there's, there's just been so much um spanners thrown in the works like that are just you know um just presenting more and more challenges and which means that I'm now you know in Dublin working in a coffee shop or a system last year I was a rugby coach for Harlequins playing for Harlequins. Being from Cork as well um because I just kind of thought I put the connections together yourself and Peter O'Mahony you're the two most passionate people when it comes to singing an anthem uh where does that come from like do you, do you use that to kind of get yourself up and ready for a game when you're playing? Yeah definitely you know from being coming from a sporting family watching sport on the telly and coming from a sporting like school and parish and town and group of friends the anthem for me watching it on the telly and you know I suppose I'm lucky I'm from Cork because we got a good few trips to Croke Park when I was younger going up on the bus or the train or whatever the anthem was always an unbelievable part of the day you know in the occasion and singing it and I remember like singing it at home and learning the words in school and so to be singing it on a pitch before going to play in a green jersey, like that's not a moment to be taken for granted or it's not a moment to be, um, you know, to, it's, it's a moment to kind of grab and use 
for yourself look so personally for me yeah it does it it works for me I know that not everyone is is the same and some people just like to stand and not sing and just take it in and but for me like singing gives me a bit of energy like I'd be singing anyway you know in the, mm. in the dressing room beforehand I I love like a bit of a boogie <laughs> a bit of a song like to get me going like to give me good like good energy and, and to make me feel um really positive so like the fact that we you know we go on to the pitch and we get to sing two songs when we're in Dublin you know like that's two opportunities to get like you know get a bit higher in your energy scale and um something that you can't really you know replicate or can't buy or you know you could take a you know a, a Lucas Aid shot or something but uh you know it's the feeling of like singing the anthem that's uh that's pretty amazing you know yourself and Ugo are kind of getting the word out there today but like happy to kind of lend your voice and kind of get the word out there as well a bit more about it definitely because i i believe that you know the conversations around um uh you know the the, the, the positive or let's say the negative responses that are coming from people sitting on the couch tweeting uh tagging a player to say something negative like i think you know this this campaign will hopefully like um you know empower people to to feel that they can you know object to that and to realize that that's not the right way to do things whether whether it's you yourself that makes those negative comments or you know someone that makes those negative comments that this awareness that that's not the right thing to do you know if like these cartoons have you know they're very difficult watching they're very cute and the voice mm -hmm. are very cute and the cartoons are brilliant from that and they're still very difficult to watch and very uncomfortable but that's that's then they've achieved their goal you know they, they've they've made it sound as ridiculous they've made it look as ridiculous as it sounds you know bullying isn't acceptable and you know we would have learned that in school and uh in the workplace it's just not acceptable you can't that's not um that's not the way things are done anymore and i think that social media especially in a year like this where you don't have as much you know contact with your friends to talk about the game or whatever people have gone very you know trigger happy on what they're tweeting and uh the comments that they're making and just i suppose people wanting to feel part of some kind of bandwagon or some one feeling really passionately about the opinion they have on a player but it's actually not acceptable to tag someone or to to say things that negatively because more than likely that person has not really achieved um you know won't have achieved the same level of, of success on the mm. rugby pitch that uh the person they're tweeting about uh has done so you know you've no right to to tag someone or you've no right to to speak about someone that negatively because you know for any mistake or error or, you know fluffed up situation that a player might have found themselves in during a match you know they've done a million positive things so you know it's so just typical for you know people on the couch to focus on you know then yeah, yeah. the negative thing i remember a really funny tweet that i read a few years ago watching the olympics um it's like me on the couch with a mouth full of Pringles, <laughs> watching the Olympics gymnastics. 
So when they take a tiny step, you know, when they finish oh, their yeah. landing and they take a tiny step, it's like me with a mouthful of Pringles. What a loser. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's as ridiculous as it sounds, you know, like, oh, for goodness sake, him missing a tackle or her, you know, whatever, you know, missing that kick. It's like, well, you're sitting on your backside on your couch, you know, so it's a bit rich coming from you. You know, so um, I do think that um, this conversation, you know, that you and I are having now and these cartoons and everything that Tackle Your Feelings is trying to, like, put out there and, and achieve is, like, to know and realise that that's not the right way to do things and that, you know, you and I or anyone that listens to this can feel empowered to say, uh-uh, no, sorry now, and object to it with you know facts or actually I know that player and she works really hard or actually he's his speciality is you know whatever and he's you know maybe he's struggling with confidence or whatever you know just to keep that um positive um critical but positive um conversation going yeah yeah perfect well some great stuff and great um great to see you involved with it and, and good luck now and at least as you said go catch up and read about this new tournament I hope you'll be involved in soon enough as well I will do thanks a million Pat If you haven't already done so, click subscribe on House of Rugby Ireland to never miss a show. The championship is all set up for an exciting conclusion next Friday, but Ireland are all wrapped up now. It gives us an opportunity now to look back on their campaign through a couple of categories. So we're going to chat about, first off, their best Irish player. So Ian, who do you think throughout the championship has been the standout player for Ireland? Um, I think consistently probably Robbie Henshaw. You know, I think he stepped up in, in every game um, and then, you know, polished it off, I suppose, with a phenomenal performance against against England. So it's um, it's exciting for him. You know, he's, he's definitely putting himself forward for a, a starting spot with the Lions and um, he's definitely, you know, stepped up as a real leader in that Irish side. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd agree. I think <coughs> Robbie's just been, he's outstanding. He's, he's, uh, he's become a real leader in there. Um, and he, what Robbie does is, you know, from from playing with him um, and being in change rooms with him, um, not the biggest talker, you know, during the week or even before the game, he literally just leads by example, and and often the best leaders do that. He never lets you down, and just so many consistent performances by him, and that last one um, has put him in prime position to start for the Lions. I think in the pack, uh, Tyg Byrne, as obviously he's picking up the man of the match performances and. Um, just been he's been a real find for Ireland. Sorry, not that he he's been a find, but he's been playing great for for Munster for a number of years now. But he probably never got his opportunity, um, you know, through maybe losing out in selection and um, and injury. But he got it at the start of the Six Nations, and he really took it with both hands. Like I think he had two or three man of the match performances, and he's also in a great position to be going on that Lions tour now. And then um, the last one would be Hugo Keenan, just in terms of a, um, a new find for the for Ireland. I think with Rob Carney leaving and a big big void being filled, was left to be filled there, um, because I think people took for granted for, for years what Rob did for Ireland and the security he had back there. But geez, Hugo has just taken to test rugby um, pretty seamlessly, so very, very impressive as well. I think he started the last 11 games for Ireland. Like, that's... It's almost like he's number one on the team sheet there at this stage. It's really, really great for him and, and good to see the future's bright there. Um, best Irish moment then, Ferg? What was the standout moment of the championship? Standout moment? 
it's just it's got to be that performance in general. I think against against England in the Aviva, um, I'll say it, say it again that it's just such a shame there wasn't a a crowd there because I just say it would just would have been it would have been pretty epic, you know. Um, but yeah, that was that was part of this the, the standout moment for me. Really. Yeah, Ty accelerating that scrum, you know, it yeah. just kind of epitomised the game. We overpowered England, you know, it was something that we'd heard a lot about and. I'm sure it was playing on the Irish guys' minds, and just to, to muscle up like that and, and to charge over them, it was very satisfying. I'm surprised yeah. one of you didn't mention actually Tyke Furlong's step on Finn Russell last weekend as a moment of the Six Nations. Yeah, not a good one for the out half union, that. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I, didn't, I didn't see that step, to be honest. <laughs> it wasn't on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, it's literally been everywhere. I didn't see it. <laughs> it was great, in fairness. Yeah, um, what are the biggest letdown then, Ian? Um. Look, I think when you start off the campaign with a loss, it, it really takes the wind out of your sails. You know, the, the Grand Slam, the Triple Crown, it's, it's taken away from you straight away. Um, so, yeah, look, that, that Wales performance, and, and, you know, it was unfortunate, but that that red card probably epitomised, and that's what that game will probably be remembered for. Yeah, absolutely. If only they had played a little bit better a little bit earlier. Um, we'll wrap up by having a quick look ahead to next Saturday's Pro 14 final, Leinster and Munster at the RDS. Um, First off, how many of these Irish players do you think will feature next weekend? All of them. Not, like this is such a huge game for both both clubs. Um, you know, leading into the leading into the Rainbow Cup and and leading into the Lions. Like this is another. You know, aside from playing a Six Nations match, this is the next best thing for guys to put their hand up for Warren Gatland. And you know, it's been a barren period for for Munster. You know. Um, you know, in their trophy cabinet, it's been pretty empty the last few years, and um, they really, they really will be. Um, they'll be tr like dying to try put in a performance to get over the line against Leinster. Leinster have beaten them in in semi-finals in in the Pro 14 over the last number of years, and, and I do think Munster are in a strong position. They've been playing very good rugby, and um, they just have Joey Carberry back. Um, so it's going to be a tight match. Um, I do think it's going to be a really tight match, but um, you'd have to think Leinster are favourites. Yeah, I was just thinking of that and the depth, and obviously me going with the Munster squad, you know, the, the depth that Munster have in almost every position across the field, and it's not often that we don't have an injury crisis, or like, look at the nine, it's like, who, you know, Murray will start, but you've got Craig Casey there. Who will start at 10? Who will be the, the first choice out half, you know? JJ has got us through so many years and so many big moments, but with, are you going to leave Joey Carberry on the bench? Like, there's so many decisions to make, even looking at the back row with um, Coombs has been playing phenomenally, Jack O'Donoghue has been playing phenomenally, but then you've got CJ Peter Manny to come back in. It's the the choices that Munster probably lacked a little bit in, in the, in the and, past and few then, years. And then they go, do they, do they put Ty to the back row because he's played so well there? Like, yeah. do they keep him there and then maybe keep Klein and Billy Holland in, in the second row instead? So... Some like they've they've got some um, really nice headaches going into the game in terms of uh, selection. And Leinster are the same. Like look, their back row. Like hopefully Connors will be fit again for next week. Not sure how bad his injury really is. Evander Connors, Conan, Ruddock. I'm forgetting people here. Is 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 um, Caelan Scott, Scott, Scott Penny's been playing great stuff. Scott He's Penny's been playing player. brilliant. Yeah, yeah. brilliantly. Um, um, there's so many options. Yeah, so many options. It's going to be a really. It's going to be a mouth watering. Final. It's, uh, hopefully, the weather holds up for it. It'll be a great game. Yeah, like there's so many players that are playing well on both teams that, like, will they hold off the Irish players or will the Irish players just slot back in? Do you think? No, I think, I think 
I think they'll all come back in. It's too big a game for, for them not to. You might see one or two of them maybe come off the bench, um, depending on probably on how they've pulled through from that game. There's going to be some sore bodies from that English game. Mm. I, I wouldn't imagine some of them would be able to train at the front end of the week. And then, you know, you're kind of, you're saying, right, are we going to start all of them, considering that they've all been away for the last two months? Probably not. So I'd say we'll definitely see a few of them sit, sit on the bench and, and come on with, you know, 25, 30 minutes to go and, and make a big impact. Is that difficult to think coming back in as a player, as both of you who've done this, coming from, you know, international to provincial, like learning the moves, especially, you know, there's moves out all around the place in the backs and the forwards, but is that difficult as well to try and get your head around the different plays involved? Yeah, it, it is. Like, there's a di there is different systems. It's not that you, you don't know it, it's just like a even just call. your sharpness with the calls, what you're naming them. Yeah. Um, you, you become accustomed to how Ireland play for two yeah. months and then you're coming back into the, the Leinster way or the Munster way of playing. Um, you're adjusting, playing with different players. Yeah. So... It is. It is challenging, and, and quite often it takes a week. A yeah, because usually, usually the setup is when they finish Six Nations. There's like two weeks until the European, yeah. and that week mm -hmm. of uh, yeah. Pro 14, those guys who are starting they Six get Nations, rested. they're left off. But then they get integrate, integrated back in. Like we used to get integrated back in to the provincial side, and then you you get up to back up to speed with the calls and how the training sessions were run. Yeah. So the fact that there is such a short turnaround, it's yeah. going to actually be interesting to see um, because they're, they're going to have to get straight back into it, really. And it's such yeah. a big game. Like, I can't, I can't see either team putting people on the bench. You know, yeah. they'll be... Um, I don't know. I think they will. Like, if you're, you're relying on them performing off the back of one training session. Like, they're, they're not going to be able to train front end of the week. You've got one session probably on the Wednesday that you've got to get everything gelled back together. So, like, I can't see them all coming back in to start. Well, yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough one. So you got, you've obviously got, say, Ross and, and Johnny coming yeah. back. So they're, yeah, sorry, they're, they're both, they're both coming back, like, yeah. you know, but... But then do you drop Luke McGrath? Like, you know, he's been, Gibson Park coming back in. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just some really tough decisions there. It's going to be, it's going to be, the, the standard of that final is going to be really, really high. Yeah. And it actually... You often see, you know, whether it's Munster or Leinster going into a European game um, a couple of weeks after the finish of the Six Nations, the performance often spikes from Ireland playing well and the confidence of those guys. Yeah. So, but all those guys are coming back and they're playing each other seven days yeah. later and it's just going to make for a great game. It's bizarre, yeah. isn't it? It's, it's a kind of a situation that wouldn't happen in any other year. But Yeah, Luke McGrath is an interesting one there. He's someone who I think Leinster will stick by to start just because of the position he's in. He's yeah. in the half-back role. His connection between the backs and the forwards. He's been there for the last two months. He's playing great rugby. And he's been captain a few times you know, as well. It, it's a close call between him and, and Gibson Park anyway. Hmm. So just because Gibson Park's coming back from... Um, from Arden camp, I think that's one that I go. You'd, you'd stick with him there and have Jameson coming off the bench. The other thing is that you, they, then you've got like, where's the coach's head at, like like Van Graham or, or Leo Cullen. Where's their heads at in terms of are they going to reward the guys who got them to the Pro 14 final yeah. in terms of the played the league games, or are they going to just you know throw the? Um, that never happens. Like, like that never happens. Like Ross Byrne has, has started how many games in the Pro 14? I'm thinking of even over in Glasgow in 2019. You know, Ross Byrne got them there. Johnny didn't play one game until the final. I, I understand what you're saying, but it, it does happen sometimes in maybe one position or yeah. maybe two. No, I know there it's is. not going to happen to the board, but yeah. um, 
yeah, I, it's just going to be it's going to be an interest. There's going to be interesting selections from a competitive point of view, but just a tough one for 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 Leo Cullen and from Graham trying to get back guys back in and get the balance of um, getting best players on the pitch, but also the best prepared people. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. What do Munster have to do to beat Leinster? Because at the end of the day, we have to acknowledge the fact that Leinster are favourites going into this game. Yeah, in fairness to Munster, they've been playing good stuff. Like they they put it up to Leinster when. They played them down at home park, probably should have won the game. You know, they did the lion's share of, 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 of possession and played more rugby. Leinster hung in there as, as they often do and um, put together a couple of good passages to play, scored a great try, like I think Ross Byrne put a lovely kick through and they got in off the end of it. But it looked like Munster were in control of that game for large parts, but didn't keep the scoreboard ticking over. Um, and we saw that last year in the semi final. You know, again, they had opportunities, didn't take them. Um, and if they want to get over the line, this Saturday, they've they've got to find a way to get get the points on the board when they have those you know moments of pressure against Leinster. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cheers, guys, <coughs> and cheers to everybody for watching and listening today. A big thank you to producer Pat, Paul, Dermot, Anthony, and everyone that helped in getting this show together. This has been House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe Slongfall. Slong. House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe. Game changed.